0: Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. So it is with great sadness that I've come to tell you that even in the midst of a global pandemic, the tradcons are still on their BS. <laughs> Um, obviously you can tell from the title of this what we're going to be discussing, and that is the Adrian Vermeule piece, Beyond Originalism, that was published in The Atlantic. Um, there has been quite a lot of talk about this piece and about how it is just straight hot garbage, which it totally is. Total garbage. But you know what? For those of you who haven't read it yet, or would perhaps like to hear me read it to you with my commentary so that you can understand what hot garbage this is, and also wonder to yourself, why in the hell did The Atlantic publish this in the first place? And why does anyone think this is a good idea? And generally just wonder what the hell is wrong with these people? That's what we're here for today. So let's go ahead and start. Um, Title of the piece, obviously, beyond originalism. Subtitle. The dominant conservative philosophy for interpreting the Constitution has served its purpose and scholars ought to develop a more moral framework. So you can already see where we're going with this. I I guess just interpreting the Constitution as it's written is not good enough for some people anymore? I don't know. But anyway, let's go ahead and start with the piece. In recent years, allegiance to the constitutional theory known as originalism has become all but mandatory for American legal conservatives. Every justice and almost every judge nominated by recent Republican administrations has pledged a- adherence to the faith. At the Federalist Society, the Influential Association of Legal Conservatives, speakers talk and think of little else. Even some luminaries of the left legal, left liberal legal academy have moved away from speaking about living constitutionalism, fundamental fairness, and evolving standards of decency, and have instead justified their views in originalist terms. One often hears the catchphrase, We are all originalists now. Well, gee, I would certainly hope so. I mean, the Constitution's a pretty plain written document and there's not a lot of room for interpretation. And the whole concept of a living Constitution, at least the way that people on the left have tried to propose it and people like Vermeule here, of trying to do it through the courts instead of using the actual process laid out in the Constitution for adding amendments to the Constitution, Yeah, that was an idea that needed to die. It needed to die a horrible, fiery death. But for some reason, Vermeule feels the need to try to bring this back. So, yeah. Um, okay. Moving on. Originalism comes in several varieties. Baroque debates about key theoretical ideas rage among its proponents. But the Common Core is the view that the constitutional meaning was fixed at the time of the Constitution's enactment. This approach served legal conservatives well in the hostile environment in which originalism was first developed and for some time afterward. But now originalism has outlived its utility and has become an obstacle to the development of a robust, substantively conservative approach to constitutional law and interpretation. Such an approach, one might call it common good constitutionalism, should be based on the principles that government helps direct persons, associations, and society generally towards the common good and that strong rule in the interest of attaining the common good is entirely legitimate. In this time of global pandemic, the need for such an approach is all the greater, as it has become clear that a just governing order must have ample power to cope with large-scale crises of public health and well-being, reading health in many senses, not only literal and physical, but also metaphorical and social. No, no, we really don't need to do common good constitutionalism. Like, this, see, I don't, I've never understood this argument. Like, yes, the Constitution means what it says. Like, I don't, I I don't get it. Like, it's, it's pretty plainly written. It's not open for much interpretation. Like, I'm not understanding why there's this idea that, like, the Constitution doesn't mean what it says. Like, it means what it says. They, they wrote down what they wrote down. Like, these were not stupid men. They wrote it the way they wrote it for a reason. Like, I'm not... I don't understand this like second guessing or like, whoa, what did they mean when they wrote this? Well, there's plenty of other bodies of auxiliary work that you you can go and read from the various framers of the constitution that will gladly answer those questions for you. It's not a mystery. It's not something that's open to interpretation or that you need to navel gaze about. It means what it says. That's it. Like, I don't, I don't understand. And the idea that now we have to have this this common good sort of oriented government. Um, no. See, here's the thing. We already have a massive government. We already have a powerful government. And here we are. Here we sit in our current predicament. I, I'm sorry. What is more or different government supposed to do for me? I, I don't understand the, the, that core concept of, well, it would all be better if it was just a little different or if different people were in charge, like, well, those things never seem to happen. So maybe it's the system and not the people or not that it needs to be tweaked. But anyway, moving on. Alternatives to originalism have always existed on the right, loosely defined. One is libertarian or classic liberal constitutionalism, which emphasizes principles of individual freedom that are often in uneasy tension with the Constitution's original meaning and the founding generation's norms. No, they're not. Um, The Bill of Rights. You know, Amendments 1 through 9, and you could probably include 10 too, although it doesn't necessarily pertain to individual rights, but they're about outlining people's individual rights. <laughs> There's no uneasy tension here. It, it's a very clear statement of what actually the government is or is not allowed to do and where individual rights stand in relationship to government powers. There's, there's no tension. There's no ambiguity here. It, again, it's very clear. There's no questions here. Like there's no question what the First Amendment means or the Second, Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, Eighth, Ninth, or Tenth. There's no questions here. But moving on. The founding, area, the founding era was hardly libertarian on a number of fronts that loom large today, such as freedom of speech and freedom of religion, considering that in 1811, the New York courts, in an opinion written by the influential early ju- jurist Chancellor James Kent, upheld a conviction for blasphemy against Jesus Christ as an offense against the public peace and morals. Okay. Um, first off, that would violate the First Amendment, Second of all, I'm going to assume that by bringing up the whole freedom of speech thing, he's talking about the Alien and Sedition Acts, which were not popular, by the way, caused a great deal of controversy, likely caused John Adams his re-election bid, and he ended up losing to Jefferson, who was clearly a very staunch opponent of the Alien and Sedition Acts, mainly because it targeted him quasi-personally. So, this idea that like no I don't there's so much of this and this kind of touches on some other stuff that I'm reading for future content that a lot of people who want to make these sort of nationalistic arguments seem to have a very interesting view of history and kind of tell it in a way that is beyond revisionist shall we say and it's becoming something that's becoming a bit of a theme I think that oh that needs a lot of pushback so yeah it's not like it was like these principles that are embodied in in the constitution just all of a sudden became adopted like 50 years ago like no, that's, that they're in the constitution for a reason like they put them there like it wasn't an accident somebody didn't just like spill a bottle of ink and whoops it made those words like they're there on purpose so anyway moving on another alternative is Burkeian traditionalism which tries to slow the pace of legal innovation here too the difference with originalism is clear because originalism is sometimes revolutionary Consider the court's originalist opinion declaring a constitutional right to own guns a startling break with the court's long-standing precedence. Well, the court finally figured out how to read the freaking Second Amendment. Congratulations to them! And again, it goes back to this idea that the Constitution is not a living document. It says what it says. It's not really open to interpretation. So this whole idea that we should revisit this idea that the Constitution is a living, breathing document, quote unquote, that is open to interpretation is just fundamentally incorrect because that's what got so much bad law in the first place is is this idea that somehow you're supposed to compare this against whatever norms or morals you want to compare it to and then decide what it means based on that. Like, no, it means what it says. But back to the piece. These alternatives still have scattered adherence, but originalism has prevailed, mainly because it has met the political and rhetorical le- needs of legal conservatives struggling against an overwhelmingly left-liberal legal culture. The theory of originalism, initially developed in the 1970s and 80s, enjoyed its initial growth because it helped legal conservatives survive and even flourish in a hostile environment, all without fundamentally challenging the premise of the legal liberalism that dominated both the courts and the academy. It enabled conservatives to oppose constitutional innovations by the Warren and Burger courts, appealing over the heads of the justices to the puritive true meaning of the constitution itself. When, in recent years, legal conservatism has won the upper hand in the court and in, then in the judiciary generally, originalism was the natural coordinating point for a creed, something to which potential nominees could pledge fealty. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to claim to be A conservative judge, then yeah, originalism kind of goes hand in hand with that. So, okay. I, (laughs) like, what? Cool. That's great. What's the problem? Anyway. But circumstances have now changed. The hostile environment that made originalism a useful rhetorical and political expedient is now gone. Um... I mean, I would like to think that it wasn't a useful rhetorical and political expedient in an actual belief and an actual understanding of what your job is as a judge, which is to rule on laws as they are written. And if you are a member of the Supreme Court to rule on the Constitution as written, not something that you just say in order to make people like you. But that is an actual deeply held belief in how you conduct yourself as a judge. (laughs) Outside the legal academy, at least, legal conservatism is no longer besieged. If President Donald Trump is re-elected, some version of legal conservatism will become the law's animating spirit for a generation or more, and even if he is not, the reconstruction of the judiciary has proceeded far enough that legal conservatism will remain a potent force, not a beleaguered and eccentric view. Yeah, again, okay, I mean, that's one of the few bright sides of the Trump administration, is that we have gotten a couple of decent judges put on the Supreme Court in various other places who are more conservative originalist judges versus more kind of living constitution judges. I mean, if there's anything good to be said, that's that's it about the Trump administration. That's that's it. That's all I've got. So I I don't see this as a problem. I I'm not I, I don't understand, like, okay, how are you going to bitch about a fight that you won? Like, okay, if, if the conservatives won this particular fight and originalism is kind of the prevailing idea in the judiciary, what's the problem? Why, why do you want to relitigate this by all of a sudden trying to drag it back to this idea of a living constitution and we have to interpret it in a certain way? Like, what? You got the victory, Like, I don't, I don't understand why you mad. I I don't get it. Like, it's almost like winning was never the thing, but more just bitching about not being the winner. And so now that you've won, like, that's still not good enough. Like, okay, now we have to change it again to be this other thing because my God, I don't know what to do with power now that I have it, which is kind of a theme of conservatism in the GOP. In the era of Trump, is like you spent so much time chasing the damn car, you caught the car, now you don't know what the hell to do with it, and so you've pretty much just shit the bed. Anyway, back to the piece. Assured of this, conservatives ought to turn their attention to developing new and more robust alternatives to both originalism and left-liberal constitutionalism. It is now possible to imagine a substantive moral constitutionalism that although not enslaved to the original meaning of the Constitution, is also liberated from the left liberal's overreaching sacramental narrative, the relentless expansion of an individualistic autonomy. There it is. Here we go. Alternately, in a formulation I prefer, one can imagine an illiberal legalism that is not conservative at all insofar as standard conservatism is content to play defensively within the procedural rules of the liberal order. Yes. We should be playing within the rules of the liberal order. That's why it's there. That's the whole idea behind why America was founded in a, as a country in the first place is to have this particular order. Like what, dude? I'm, and there's, 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 that, there's that, that, that thing against autonomy again. I do not know what these people's fetishes with collectivism. I genuinely don't get it. For some reason, they seem to think it's just going to be the best thing since sliced bread and it never has been. <laughs> but my God, we can't have people being individuals. Nope, 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 nope. You got to be concerned about the common good and in, in the community and the state and the nation and all that. It's like, no, I really don't. I really, really don't. The only person I really need to be concerned about is myself and whoever else I choose to be concerned about. And that's it. That's all that's required of me. Nothing else. And good luck trying to sell that to anybody else, dude. So anyway, moving on. This approach should take as its starting point, substantive moral principles that conduce to the common good. Principles that officials, including, but by no means limited to, judges, should read into the majestic generalities and ambiguities of the written constitution. Again, what generalities and ambiguities? What? Can somebody point them to me? There aren't any. It says what it says. There's no navel-gazing here. There's no wondering what something meant. It's all pretty fucking clear. So, what? And what, what is this reading? No. No, judges should not be reading into any law. No, it says what it frickin' says. That's it. Like, oh my God. Anyway, these principles include respect for the authority of rule and of rulers, respect for the hierarchies needed for society to function, solidarity within and among families, social groups and workers unions, trade associations and professions, appropriate subsidiarity or respect for the legitimate role of public bodies and associations at all levels of government and society, and a candid willingness to legislate morality, indeed a recognition that all legislation isn't necessarily founded on some substantive conception of morality, and that the promotion of morality is a core and legitimate function of authority. Such principles promote the common good and make for a just and well-ordered society. Okay. Vermeil, my dude. We can't get a whole country of people to figure out to stay in the damn house unless you have to leave the house to stop the spread of a global pandemic. And you think you're going to legislate morality. You think you're going to tell 330 million people what their morality should be. (laughs) Oh my God, you sweet summer child. You have no clue of what would happen in this country if anyone even remotely attempted that. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, oh, okay, fascist. Um, <laughs> Good luck with that. It's just, it is, if this is what, if this is what is going to be required of your ideology, it's, just, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, dude. You're not going to tell the entirety of America what morality is. And by the way, who exactly is going to be put in charge of saying what morality is? Because you can put me in charge of it and you're damn sure not going to get the results that Vermeule's looking for. So uh, who exactly is going to be in charge of this? And that's a question that never quite gets answered in any of this nationalist literature or tradcon literature, as far as legislating morality or having some kind of common morality and like, okay, well, can you give me some specifics? Like, is there a list of things? Like, can you, is there something here? Like, is there a pamphlet I can read? But there's never anything concretely said. And I know I've brought this up in critiques before. My question on that is, is there not a list? Or do they not want to say the list out loud? Like, those are two separate things. And one of those is a little more frightening than the other. But So much of what comes out of nationalism too, and again, this is kind of apropos of other stuff that I'm reading for future content, is this idea that you can just throw out terms like morality or solidarity or common good and that it's just taken as a given that everybody understands what you mean when you say that. And that's far from the truth. And I've not seen anybody within this movement really, like, try to articulate for people who aren't already kind of on board with this, like, what do you mean? Like, what, what, what does it mean? What, what, what what are we going to be doing under your fantastic new world order? What is society going to look like? Nobody ever gets around to actually articulating any of that. And it's, it's curious in a way that, I mean, we're, well, over a year, probably a year and a half into people kind of publicly espousing this and nobody addresses that. It's weird to me. Anyway, moving on. To be sure, some have attempted to ground an idea of the common good on an originalist understanding, taking advantage of the natural rights orientation of the founding era. Yet that approach leaves originalism in ultimate control, hoping that the original understanding will happen to be morally appealing. I am talking about a different, more ambitious project, one that abandons the defensive crouch of originalism and that refuses any longer to play within the terms set by legal liberalism. Ronald Dworkin, the legal scholar and philosopher, used to urge moral readings of the Constitution. Common good constitutionalism is methodologically Dworkinism, but uh, advocates a very different set of substantive moral commitments and priorities from Dworkins, which were of a conventionally left liberal bent. Common good constitutionalism is not legal positivism, meaning that it is not tethered to particular written instruments of civil law or the will of the legislators who created them. Instead, it draws upon an immense tradition that includes, in addition to positive law, sources such as un gentrium, the law of nations or the general law, common to all civilized legal systems, and principles of objective natural morality, including legal morality in the sense used by the legal American legal theorist Lon Fuller, The inner logic that the activity of law should follow in order to function well as law. Okay. No. This is, for better or for worse, a nation of laws. Laws that are written down in books that everybody can go read and understand what the law is. Not the law being this some kind of nebulous idea that well, everybody just kind of understands what it is. And it's like, no, not everybody does. That's why we started writing shit down. That's why we write down laws. This is why we pass laws through legislation so that people can debate them and they can be voted on. And it's not just some kind of weird, oh, well, it's just a thing that everybody knows and like, okay. And especially when you're invoking the idea of ush gentrium, that's a concept that, that dates back to when basically Rome ran the world and fell out of favor when Europe started breaking down into actual countries, actual states that started developing their own written laws. It was rejected in the 18th century. Like, dude, oh my god, no. But just this idea that, oh, it's just, oh, no, it's morality and everybody knows what that means. Again, no. And nobody wants to define it. Like, nobody wants to specifically define what this morality is that you seem to think everybody knows. Well, I don't. So somebody's going to need to explain it to me. Like, preferably really slow so I can make sure I don't misunderstand you. But it's... Oh, no. That's not how this country works. And it doesn't work that way for a reason. A very specific reason. Uh, Anyway... Moving on, because we've not even gotten to the worst part yet. Common good constitutionalism is also not legal liberalism or libertarianism. Its main aim is certainly not to maximize individual autonomy or to minimize the abuse of power, an incoherent goal in any event. Oh, really? So you're saying the abuse of power cannot be avoided? That's not a good way to argue for your preferred system. But okay, moving on but instead to ensure that the ruler has the power needed to rule well. A corollary is that to act outside or against inherent norms of good rule is to act tyrannically, forfeiting the right to rule, but the central aim of the constitutional order is to promote good rule, not to protect liberty as an end in itself. Constraints on power are good only derivatively, insofar as they contribute to the common good, the emphasis should not be on liberty as an abstract object of quasi-religious devotion, but on particular human liberties whose protection is a, ju- is a duty of justice or prudence on the part of the ruler. Okay, let's back up a little bit here. Um, we already have a system of government where there is vast amounts of power already placed in the executive and judicial and legislative branch. What more powers would you like to give them? What more powers that they don't have would you like them to have? I, I mean, what system do these people think we live under already? Like, we're already there. What, What more do you want? I'm very confused by you. And the idea that a central government or that the Constitution isn't a point of just protecting liberty in and of itself. Yes, it is. That's what it is. Um, again, not sure what copy of the Constitution Mule's read, but I don't know where he's getting half this shit. But yeah, that's the point, is to protect individual liberties, as an end in and of itself. Like, (laughs) that's the point. And the idea that constraints on this magical power is only good insofar as it benefits the common good, well... I can make an argument that all constraint on this magical governance is for the behalf of the common good. I mean, clearly, I make that argument all the damn time. So am I going to be put in charge of things? I mean, what? Who who gets to define the common good? Do I get to do it? Because it's shit's going to look real interesting if I get to do it. Somehow, I don't think Vermeule's going to like it, though. And that's another thing. It's like you just, if you want to say something, come right out and say it. Like, and, and in, in all fairness, later on in this piece, he does pretty much come right out and say what he wants to say. So maybe that's not an entirely fair critique right now. So let's, let's move on to the next paragraph. Finally, unlike legal liberalism, common good constitutionalism does not suffer from a horror of political domination and hierarchy because it sees that law is parental, a wise teacher and an in incalculator of good habits. Just authority in rulers can be exercised for the good of subjects, if necessary, even against the subject's own perception of what is best for them, perceptions that may change over time anyway, as the law teaches, habituates, and reforms them. Subjects will come to thank their ruler whose legal strictures, possibly experienced at first as coercive, encourage subjects to form more authentic desires for the individual and common good, better habits, and beliefs that better track and promote communal well-being. Yeah, no, see, I'm not one to kink shame, but, um, submissiveness isn't really my thing. If it's for Mule's thing, that's fine. You can go engage in that relationship. Don't drag the rest of us into it. I don't want to be anybody's subject. I don't want anybody applying some kind of coercion to correct me in some way. The law is not my dad. Get the fuck out of here with this bullshit. Like, what in the fascist fuck are you talking about? No, sir. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. No, 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 (laughs) no. Not only that, this is all just parts of society that the federal government should not have anything to be doing anything with. I don't, it's not, it's, it's not the federal government's job to make sure that I have good habits and am a decent person and that I care about the well-being of myself and others, that's not their job. That's my job. Why Why would that be their job? It's, just, it's one of those things, and like I said, I know I've brought this up in critiques in the past, but there's a group of people who reflexively go to, if they see something as a problem, that it is immediately the state's problem to fix it like only they can fix it and it's like no no it's not their place to fix it you don't want them to fix it they don't have to fix it it's not for them to fix so I think that's where you get a lot of this kind of nationalist sentiment to by people who look at our current situation read into that whatever you will and think that the only way that it can possibly change is if the state steps in and starts mandating things and starts demanding that people behave in a certain way. And it's like, no, that's not that's not the answer, B. That ain't it. So, anyway, let's keep going. Common good constitutionalism draws inspiration from the early modern theory of Regan de Stato, reason of state, which, despite the connotations that have been attached to its name, is not at all a tradition of unscrupulous machination. Yes, it is. Indeed, it was formulated precisely to combat a moral technocratic vision of rule as the maximization of princely power. Um, I'm okay with a moral technocratic vision of rule right about now. I mean, I would definitely take that over what we have. (laughs) Please, dear God, do we get some technocrats? I never thought I'd say that one, but anyway. Instead the Ragion di Stato tradition elaborates a set of principles for the just exercise of authority. Promoting a substantive vision of the good is, always and everywhere, the proper function of rulers. Every act of public regarding government has been founded on such a vision. Any contrary view is an illusion." Liberal and libertarian constitutional decisions that claim to rule out morality as a ground for public action are incoherent, even fraudulent, for they rest merely on on a particular account of morality in a plausible account. Sadly, Vermeule does not flesh out what he means by that, because it's pretty well accepted that as a nation of laws, no, we do not regard morality when we are making decisions about certain things. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of not having an established religion in this country. That there isn't one set of morals that determines how everybody lives. That's how this works. That is the whole point. Why is this difficult for some people to understand? Again, the Constitution says what it says. It was written the way it was written. It wasn't an accident. We, we separated this shit out at the beginning for a very specific reason. It's like, and to understand that reason, you can go all the way back to the original settlers who came here from England, who were fleeing, what again? Religious persecution. (laughs) like, oh my God, how ignorant of history are these people? How ignorant? Anyway, moving on. Given that it's legitimate for rulers to pursue the common good, again, no, it's not, Constitutional law should elaborate subsidy principles that make such rules efficacious. Constitutional law must afford broad scope for rulers to promote, as the Region de Stato put it, in a famous trinity of principles, peace, justice, and abundance. Today we may add health and safety to the list in very much the same spirit. In a globalized world that relies that relates to the national natural, and biological environment in a deeply disordered way. A just state is a state that has ample authority to protect the vulnerable from ravages of pandemics, natural disasters, and climate change, and from the underlying structures of corporate power that contribute to these events. Who wrote that, AOC? (laughs) But this is an example of horseshoe theory, where you have a lot of principles that the far left and the far right agree on. Like there's no denying that they they kind of want the same things. They kind of want them in the same way. You'll never get them to admit to it. But like that statement right there, like that could have came out of a progressive playbook. Like that could have came out of Bernie Sanders' mouth, but it's coming out of Vermeule's mouth. And as far as the whole concept of underlying structures of corporate power, um, those exist because the government has allowed them to and has promoted these sorts of various ways in which this is how companies have to survive. Anyway, that's a whole nother rant, but back to the piece. Because the Stato is not ashamed of strong rule, nor does it see it as presumptively suspect in the way liberalism does, a further corollary is that authority and hierarchy are also principles of constitutionalism. Finally, and perhaps most important, just rule emphasizes solidarity and subsidiarity, Authority is held in trust for and exercised on behalf of the community and the subsidy groups that make up a community, not for the benefit of individuals taken one by one. Fuck off with this shit right here. No, there is nothing, nothing about authority and hierarchy being principles of constitutionalism. No, 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 no. And we can definitely decide the solidarity and subsidiarity too, because we are not, that, that's not how, oh my God. The whole concept was that America was supposed to be a nation of equals and that the government is equal to the citizens and vice versa. Not that one is higher up on the hierarchy than the other and that one is subjugated to the other. That's, that's, no. What? I, god damn, dude. Are you kidding me with this? Like some people have wondered if this is trolling and you know what? If I hadn't read enough, like, tradcon nationalist nonsense, I might be inclined to agree, but no. This is a prevailing thought that we need to go back to some kind of almost monarchy. Like, that. there needs to be a strong authoritarian rule up at top telling everybody what they need to do for the common good and the solidarities so that everybody can be happy. I'm like, get out of here with this shit. Anyway. Let's keep going. How, if not at all, are these principles to be grounded in the constitutional text and in conventional legal sources? The sweeping generalities and famous ambiguities of our Constitution, an old and in places obscure document, afford ample space for substantive moral readings that promote peace, justice, abundance, health, and safety by means of just authority, hierarchy, solidarity, and subsidiarity. No, it fucking doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, I've already discussed this. It does not lend itself to any of those things. The General Welfare Clause, which gives Congress power to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States, is an obvious place to ground principles of common good constitutionalism. Um, if there's any area where we need a little more originalism, it's with the damn Welfare Clause. The General Welfare Clause has been bastardized to the point to mean so many things that it was never intended to cover. It's kind of like the catch-all now at this point that just lets Congress do what the hell ever if they can claim that it's somehow in the interest of national security or general welfare. We need to start clawing that shit back. Like, no, we do not need to expand what the general welfare clause covers. No. No, no, no. Anyway... (laughs) moving on we're not done yet we're not even gotten to the best part yet so as is the constitution's preamble with its references to general welfare and domestic tranquility to the perfection of the union and to justice constitutional words such as freedom and liberty need not be given libertarian readings instead they can be read in light of a better conception of liberty as a natural natural human capacity to act in accordance with reasoned morality Nope, I think the words freedom and liberty need to be given a more libertarian reading because, again, these are words that have very specific meanings it's not really open to interpretation. We, we don't need people navel-gazing. Well, what does freedom mean? It means what the fuck it says it means. <laughs> oh my God. All right. More importantly still, thinking that the common good and its corollary principles have to be grounded in specific texts is a mistake Oh. Oh, really? (laughs) What would you like them to be grounded in? They can be grounded in the general structure of the constitutional order and in the natural nature and purposes of government. What the fuck does that mean? What? No. No, they need to be grounded in specific texts because that's how a nation of laws works. You have a group of- you have specific texts that you use in order to determine what is and is not illegal. It's not some vague, ambiguous concept. Like, what? What? Anyway, the Supreme Court, like Congress and the presidency, has often drawn upon broad structural and natural law principles to determine the just authority of the state. Police power, which, despite its misleading name, refers to the general power of state governments to protect health, safety, order, and public morality, is nowhere mentioned in the written Constitution. America's real, efficient constitution is largely unwritten or uncodified, as is true of constitutions everywhere. That is not a feature, dude. That's a bug. That's a bug that some of us have been spending a very long time trying to claw back. That this idea that, I mean, the, the federal powers stop at the Ninth Amendment per the Tenth Amendment. So everything past that is technically unconstitutional. And I think we need to try to remember that, not just assume that where we're at right now is like, oh, well, that's just perfectly normal and good and fine. So, do. no, it's not. It's really not. And it's, again, it's not something that needs to be expanded to making moral judgments. It's something that needs to be contracted severely back down to where it is supposed to be constitutionally. And even further back than that, if you really want to go there. But I'll settle for taking it back to... Amendments one through nine. I mean, I'll I'll take that. So moving on, this is painful. Like, this is just painful. Like, what? The writing on this is just painful, too. It's like so overwritten. Like, why? Who edited this? Who edited this? Anyway, this is not the occasion to offer a bill of particulars about how constitutional law might change under this approach, but a few broad strokes can be sketched. The court's jurisprudence on free speech, abortion, sexual liberties, and related matters will prove vulnerable under a regime of common good constitutionalism. The claim from the Knox's joint opinion in Planned Parenthood v. Casey that each individual may define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life should not only be rejected but stamped out as abominable beyond the realm of acceptable forever after. No. Nope. Everybody gets to define their life as they wish. And you want to roll back the court's jurisprudence on free speech, abortion, and sexual liberties? First of all, that's an interesting hodgepodge that you pick there. Because in case you haven't noticed, the trad cons are really weird about sex. <laughs> in case that has escaped your attention. Um, they like to talk about porn a lot. And they seem to think libertarians talk about porn a lot. We don't. We don't talk about it until they bring it up and somehow try to make it this libertarian thing. Oh, you guys just want the degenerate porn. It's like, dude, we don't even talk about porn. We don't even really care about porn outside the fact that it's a free speech issue. I mean, some people watch it. Some people don't. It's fine either way. But no, we don't spend time thinking about sex the way tradcons do. It's just so weird. So weird. And then, of course, the free speech thing because, of course, they want the ability to shut down speech that they don't like even though they bitch, whine, moan, and complain when other groups want that same power to shut down speech they don't like and apparently they can't figure out the cognitive dissonance of that. But, hey, um, sure, guys. Um, keep being weird in public, I suppose. But let's keep going because we're, we're, we're actually getting... We're getting to the best part. We're getting to the point where Vermeule finally says the quiet part out loud. And, I mean, thanks to him for finally doing it, but here we go. So, too, should the libertarian assumption central to free speech law and free speech ideology, that government is forbidden to judge the quality and moral worth of public speech, that one man's vulgarity is another lyrics, and so on, fall under the axe. Libertarian conceptions of property rights and economic rights will also have to go, insofar as they bar the state from enforcing duties of community and solidarity in the use and distribution of resources. Thank you for finally fucking dropping the mask. What you're advocating for here, Verul, is something that already exists. It's called communism. It's theocratic communism. That is what they are espousing. Because if that is your thing, that private property rights and free markets have to go, Those are the central tenets of communism. That's step one and two of establishing communism. Abolition of private property rights and abolition of a free market. So at least finally, finally one of them is admitting that you just want communism, but you want your communism with your morality laid on top of it. I mean, cool. Thanks for finally admitting it, dude. This is something that we've been trying to get y'all to admit to for ages now. That you want the government to control everything and you want to abolish any kind of autonomy. You want to abolish any kind of personal freedom. You want to abolish any kind of actual free market and you want to abolish private property. Sweet. Thanks, Adam. Adrian, whatever the hell your name is. Anyway, we're not done with this piece. Let's keep going. As for the structural and distribution of authority within government, common good constitutionalism will favor a powerful ruling, powerful presidency ruling over a powerful bureaucracy, the latter acting through principles of administrative laws, inner morality, with a view to promoting solidarity and subsidiarity. The bureaucracy will be seen not as an enemy, but as a strong hand of legitimate rule. The state is to be entrusted with the authority to protect the populace from the vagrancies and injustices of market forces, from employers who would exploit them as autonomized individuals, and from corporation, corporate exploitation and destructive of the natural environment. Union, guilds, and crafts, cities, and localities, and other solidistic associations will benefit from the presumptive favor of the law, as will the traditional family. Again, that's another one of their favorite things is the traditional family. In virtue of subsidiarity, the aim of rule will not be to displace these associations, but to help them function well. Elaborating on the common good principle that no constitutional right to refuse vaccination exists, Here comes the anti-vaxxers. Here they come. Constitutional law will define in broad terms the authority of the state to protect the public's health and well-being, protecting the weak from pandemics and scrooges of many kinds, biological, social, and economic, even when doing so requires overriding the selfish claims of individuals to private rights. Thus the state will enjoy authority to curb the social and economic pretensions of the urban gentry liberals, who so often place their own satisfactions, financial and sexual and the good of their class of social milieu above the common good. Bruh, you used too many words to say bourgeoisie. You could have just said bourgeoisie. You didn't have to say urban gentry liberals. It's pretty clear. <laughs> oh my god, it's Marxism. Like, just, I, it, it, but I feel like I'm reading Marx. <laughs> what the hell? The state needs to step in to protect the people from the corporations... And the bad things and the free market and and the the individual rights because we gotta have the solidarity and goddamn bourgeoisie gotta go because they be too decadent. They don't care about nobody but themselves. I mean, aside from the fact that, I mean, it's, it's billionaires who are gonna get us out of this fucking mess that we're in right now and it's gonna be private industries and the free market that gets us out of this, not the state. Because the state screwed it up monumentally and now it's up to private entities to try to save us all from dying from coronavirus. But yeah, that's what we need. We need the state to protect everybody from the bad, evil, icky, urban gentry liberals and the corporations. I'm telling you, it's progressive. It's progressivism. And they'll never, ever, ever admit it. But it's, it's horseshoe theory. It's absolute horseshoe theory. But we're getting to the last paragraph here, so. In this sense, common good constitutionalism promises to expand and fulfill, in new circumstances and with a new emphasis, the Constitution's commitment to provo- promoting the general welfare and human dignity. Overall, constitutionalism will become more direct, more openly moral, less tied to the tendacious law office history and endless litigation of dubious claims about events centuries in the past originalism has done useful work and can now give way to a new confidence in authoritarian rule for the common good. (sighs) Yep. So there's that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like I said, at least Vermeule finally dropped the whole pretense that these people give a shit about democracy or about constitutionalism or about rule of law. No, what you want is a theocratic communist society. Like that's it. That's what's laid out here. With, with some nice fascism kind of mixed in there, too. <laughs> My God, this is fucking trash. Like, what the fuck? And there's people that genuinely think that this is a good idea. And that's what's scary. That's what's frightening. Is there are people that read this and are like, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, let's do, like yeah, we need a strong central government that, that tells everybody what to do and takes care of everybody for the common good. That's how communism was pitched, you idiots. Do you not know anything about history? Apparently not. Because, again, it's this concept that, well, this time, if we do it, it'll go right. Yeah, where have I heard that one before? Oh, yeah, that's what the progressive left says every time, like, the DSA types bring up socialism. Like, no, 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 it failed all those other times, but we'll do it right this time. Nationalists make that same argument. It's fucking infuriating. And yeah, this just this piece just deserved to be trashed. And it has been trashed pretty roundly in many circles. But I wanted to go ahead and just go through it and point out how batshit crazy and just how far afield of democracy and liberalism these people want to take us. It's every bit as frightening and every bit as dangerous as progressivism. And yeah, it deserves every bit of scorn and derision that libertarians heap on progressivism. Yeah, these people deserve that shit too because they are no different. What they're proposing is no different. It's authoritarian rule by a top-down central government and that will legislate to you what you can and cannot do because individual autonomy apparently has to be shot into the sun in the sake of we need solidarity and we need communities like no fuck off no we don't stop it at least not in any kind of forced way which one thing that this whole coronavirus situation has shown is that when individuals are left to their own devices they will develop their own communities they will take care of their own nobody has to tell them to do it like, people just spontaneously do this because it's this the right thing to do. Like, nobody has to be told that, you know, you should probably go help grandma get groceries because she's old and she might get coronavirus if she goes out of the house. Like, nobody needs to tell anybody that. Nobody needed to tell businesses, like, hey, start making PPE. Like, start working on vaccines. Start working on possible treatments. Like, okay, Bill Gates, go build seven vaccine warehouse facilities and we'll just use one of them when we figure out whatever vaccine works best like nobody has to tell anybody to do this it's just this this idea that you need this sort of top-down authoritarianism just leans into a level of cynicism that bothers me because it basically means that you inherently think that people are not good decent people and that they need to be told to be that by a central authority otherwise I don't know. I don't. I don't even know what trad cons think is so gone horribly wrong with our society. From all I can gather, is it's like immigrants and porn. Like that's it. That's all I can gather from these people. It's like, oh, porn, immigration. It's like, what, 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 dude? Like, stop. Anyway, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because this has gone really long. But like I said, I wanted to do this episode just to kind of get it out there. So. As always, if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.